Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> how old are you? Um, how, do you want to know exactly how old I am? Yeah, you're two years older than me. What year were you what? born? I was born in 1979. So I was oh, born, one year. Yeah, yeah. I'm 38 years old. I'm from 1980. I know. It makes me seem even older because it's like one more decade under my belt. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're only as old as you look. Uh, that, is that like a, a, a snarky thing to say? So I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to pretend like I look younger than everyone else my age. And then it, like last night I was watching a, sh- uh, a show, This Is Us, on, uh, with Kristen. And, and she, I was like, wow, those people are 38. They look like they're 48. She's like, no, they don't. They look like you. And I was like, <laughs> no. Yeah. Don't say that. When it comes from your partner, you know it's true. But do <laughs> you, like, is it? Is it bad if someone thinks you look older for you? Like um, in your job, would it actually be good if you have more authority, if you can look old? It's funny that you say that because, yeah, my father, he always, you know, growing up, he would lament his age because uh, he looked young actually for quite some time. And until he got gray hair, he had a really hard time like winning jobs. But then like he had a few gray hairs and suddenly people are, started just saying yes to whatever crazy idea he had. Yeah, it's like if um, you have an ad with a trusted physician who says this is uh, good for you, you probably want that person to have gray hair. Right, yeah. I, and I've noticed this as well. As I've gotten older, it's almost like <laughs> it's uncomfortable sometimes that people will listen to you just because you're older. Now, in technology, there's an expiry date on this, but like in in sort of like your late 30s but for, early uh, yeah. 40s yeah you have like you get i mean some weird in, this episode we didn't even do a segue we just jumped right in but so the topic is aging and one thing that fascinates me if if i tell you um okay think of a pop star and then uh, think of it, it you always think of pop stars in their prime so i'm trying to think of an example but uh, if if you think of the Beatles, you imagine them young. You don't imagine them old. Mm-hmm, but then when mm-hmm. you think of Picasso, I'm like, think of Picasso, you think of old Picasso. I think of, yeah, like a Picasso, old with, Picasso without a shirt on. Yeah, with white, <laughs> with white hair and bald. And that, that was... And like leathery for, skin. So this has been fascinating me. For some reason, when you think of the Beatles, you think of the group of them aged 22. Mm-hmm. And when you think of Picasso, they're just the cliches of the most famous visual well, artist my, and, the, and the most uh, yeah. famous musician. Same thing with Louise Bourgeois or something. But my theory with that is, is that most artists uh, die before we recognize their importance. Yeah, yeah. But but if they're still alive, we're like, we thought we thought they were dead. <laughs> they're still, they're still <laughs> like, making stuff. Jasper Johns is still them. alive. Huh? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So where's his profile or his? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But what I what I mean is you. There's a funny thing with, for some professions. It's actually good to be the older, the better. But I, my my point there, I think with artists, it's good to be so old. People thought you were dead, but you're still making work. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, wow, because it's almost like better for the for the value of the work. I don't for know for the brand. Yeah, I don't know. But there's also something about uh, specifically pop music is youth youthful energy, and visual art is more contemplative. Even architects don't get to make work until they're fifty or sixty. So you, when you think of an architect. When you imagine an architect in your head, you don't think of a 16-year-old. Mm. But I will say this in art, early on in your careers, like during that first emerging um, you know, few years, it, it, a lot of people do get recognition very quickly, like uh, on a very short time scale for being like 
the freshest, most exciting thing. For having they have promise. A new perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then it's very well. Hard that's to like the that. the Bitcoin thing, where it's like an ICO, and it's the fresh new thing, and mm-hmm. a lot of potential in uh, investment. Mm-hmm. It usually ends in tragedy. Unfortunately, I hate to remind our listeners that. <laughs> I mean, like. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a drug overdose if they're really good or like yeah. um, the brighter the star, the faster. What is the saying? Like the, the brighter the, the star, like the, the Blade Runner quote? Is the, that a Blade the, Runner the, the candle, The candle that uh, burns twice as bright burns half as long. And oh. you have burned so ever brightly, my young uh, android. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I'm picking and up Blade That's Runner the scene where, where he, he meets his maker and then squeezes his eyeballs into his skull. Right, right, right. <laughs> that's just like your art career or most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like some curator. You have burned so brightly. <laughs> um, but I, you know, a listener sent in this topic and I think, um, you know, I've heard from a lot of listeners and actually I was just, uh, I had to, I went back to Syracuse University where I was um, a graduate student uh, this week. I was invited back to speak at the university, not by anyone in my former department, but by graduate students uh, in studio arts, which didn't even exist when I was there because they listened to our podcast and they got to pick a visiting artist and they picked they pick me. Seemingly, they should have picked both of us, but uh, maybe they were playing favorites. I'm just kidding. But I think as I went to Syracuse, oh, they're like, oh, that's interesting. Let, let's, we could probably bring them out there. But it was really, for me, uh, interesting to meet all these graduate students who were listening to the podcast and also think about myself 12 years ago. So it's been 12 years since then I graduated from grad school, not even undergrad. Um, and it was a bit of a, it was a walk down memory lane. A lot had changed, but nothing had Is changed it, at all. It's like when you uh, go back to the house you were as a kid and it seems really small. Did the scale feel different yes. of the building? Yes. So there was like a lot of those moments where it was like, it did like everything felt really small or really, you know, like it, like what mom, like my bedroom is now a den, you know, like it, there are a lot of those like little changes. And then also I was like, I don't remember it being, you know, certain aspects of this place being so horrible. <laughs> so like, but I think the people were all different, right? It's like the same state set or same, you know, the same play, but different actors. And so you're like, you know, you're looking kind of for the connection to the place, but it was really through the people. So I had this weird feeling. Of course, I stayed with my my thesis advisor, uh, Tom Sherman, and his uh, uh, wife, Jan. And, and that was wonderful, actually, I've, because I've kept up with them for years, right? So we're still old friends. But um, And all of the students were amazing and super nice. But I kept like tra- trying to transpose myself back 12 years. And I was like, what have I accomplished in this time? <laughs> I was like, it was very weird. I don't know. Well, I you stayed alive. You've accomplished that. I have, I have, but it's a, it's one of those cities that doesn't change very much because it's a small American city, and so there are just like a couple new buildings. I went and revisited the old gallery that I used to run, and have been taken over as a like free bookstore and hardcore music venue, uh, <laughs> which was like kind of interesting and sad at the same time. Oh, and there was like some weird banjo uh, banjo place there. Like anyway, they had, they had I, everything. I, yeah. I don't know strange. anything about Syracuse, but yeah, since I listened to confusing. a lot of <laughs> punk and hardcore, I think Earth Crisis was from there and there were this mm-hmm. militant vegan band that would yeah. their fans would beat up people or or really uh, cut uh, the letter X into their face for smoking at a concert and things. It seemed like a, a place with crazy vegans. 
But that's actually what's really interesting. So um, like one interesting point was that there were a bunch of things that I did there 12 years ago. And you often don't have an opportunity to say, I'm going to do something and then come back 12 years later and see if it affected anything. So there were a couple things that I did do there that I got to see the results of. And with that gallery, one of the things was I introduced music to the gallery. So um, I started bringing bands in on tour and because I, I wanted to attract like a younger audience and make it cool to be there. And I liked music. And now it's like fully a music venue, you know, like it's completely out of the hands of mm. art. Mm. You know, so uh, that was interesting because, you know, in, tw- in 12 years, there people slowly got used to that idea. And then it, now it's the, the whole thing. Yeah. With the whole, yeah. But it's in rotten disrepair, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. yeah. Have I, you ever gone back to your old school, though, and felt the same way? No, no, I hope I never will. Mm. I, I, yeah, like, that, I like just moving on. It's, it's better. Yeah, so by the time I was leaving, it kind of felt that way, where it was like, um, you know when you go home for Christmas, and you, the first day is really exciting, and then the next day you're kind of like, start to notice the imperfections, and by my, the third day uh, yeah, you're fighting with everyone. It's nice, because my family moves around so much. That I can't mm-hmm. go back to a, a family home. It's always a new place. So, Yeah. But anyway, I felt old. I guess that's why I told that story. Because I, it felt like it was just yesterday. Like nothing. Because, you know, when you're there, nothing's changed. Um, but no I, one, you know. I, I, yeah, I really feel like the... I haven't gone to the point where you you have physical degradation and it hurts to get up out of a chair. Mm-hmm. So, so far... All the the things that came with age are benefits. Like I make more money, I have more time to do what I want, and I'm married to, to a wonderful Christina, mm-hmm. and uh, it everything's way better than ten years ago. Like I I, w- I wouldn't trade one day of what I was doing ten years ago. Like, yeah, I mean, but I have certain nostalgia for those you know ten years ago. So I I posted some pictures online from from that time, and like my old friends came out of the woodwork and. Um, like I remember my time in Syracuse being the best time of my life. I, I was so without care or worry, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not like I have a ton of worries now. That sounds so cliche. Well, you have, there a, was... you have a lot of responsibility at your job. Yeah, I guess it's the. I mean, maybe it's like feeling like there are fewer and fewer choices or possibilities. Like, but at the same time, there's more. Like you said, because there's more accessible and available to you. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was really interesting to meet with these graduate students who were like really, really talented and, and imagine myself like literally back in their same position because, you know, they're trying out all kinds of wild ideas. Right. You know, as a young artist, you're like, oh, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. Like one of the artists built like a cave in their studio and was inviting people to collaborate in the cave space with them. And I'm like, there's no way like if Jeremy walks out of the, you know, into the world today that he's going to create a cave space that people are going to walk into. My like career is established to a certain point where I can't just go off and make caves. That's not um, true. <laughs> you're like you of anyone could do that. Yeah. I, I, but you would brand it differently. It would be I think you wouldn't make the cave for you, but you would make the cave for others. And then you would be fine with it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, th- at the same time, it's very You would true. call like, it the uh, safe cave and then uh, people... Yeah. <laughs> like last week, I was also really excited because I was doing new ki- new types of work in Chicago, uh, where I'm working on that project I mentioned previously, uh, building businesses with artists. And it's like, there were some really exciting kind of moments. Um, 
in, in, in the city of Chicago where it's just like, it's really fascinating. Um, the social politics of that city. Like I went to the, yeah, well, the you, you posted the, the video of all the empty storefronts. Cause I've been talking about empty storefronts in New York, which is kind of shocking because it's such a destination, but then the South side of Chicago, that's another scale. Yeah, well, I think it's like there are multiple pressures and they're all adding up together at the same time. Like there's this terrible police oppression. And when you go to that area, it's like... It, it's really like, hard not to have every episode of this podcast to be about Amazon because it's a really fascinating company that is changing everything, just everything. Well, yeah, I mean, if Amazon took over policing, then they could really claim like the problems in Chicago. But yeah, it's yeah. like the police, it's Amazon. But basically every other or every, or two out of every three storefronts is is boarded up. Yeah. On 79th Street. And, and they're all going to become WeWorks? <laughs> I think, no, that's the, well, so that's interesting. Like, could it, if it was gentrified, if it was gentrified by Is it gentrifiable be or is it too big? But I don't think you, it would be good if it got gentrified because there's a huge community of people that live there that are not of the, you know, so-called gentry, which is a horrible term, but that's what you really have to refer to. That are not in just, that income bracket. Yeah, and who have been left behind socially and who are oppressed, literally. Like, the Chicago Police Department spends a billion dollars on policing them every year. But, you know, there's no... They have, like, jails built into the schools. Uh, there's really... If that money was spent to rehabilitate the neighborhoods and to help people out of poverty, to give them, you know, free education even, uh, it would be a wonderful place. Sh Chicago has this crazy long history of violence from the, the days of... Isn't Al Capone from Chicago? Yeah, but, you know, the thing about violence is... It's, uh, yeah, it's almost it's, like it's embedded in... It's like a tradition. But no one chooses. No one chooses No, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying yeah. that it's been going on for a very long time, specifically in Chicago, more than other places. Yeah. I mean, it's a crazy city. It's huge, dude. Like, that... It's like an hour I, to get I to just a saw a, a documentary called Tall about the, the development of the American skyscraper. It's mm -hmm. kind of a, a, a associative documentary because there was no footage of those architects, uh, they couldn't interview them. So it was a lot of shots of architecture with voiceovers and a lot of, uh, felt like turn of the century photos of people and, and kind of a strange experimental documentary. But the architecture in Chicago is so, it's a very interesting point in architecture that really happened there. Yeah, you know, it's, well, because actually because of the war in Germany, <clears throat> you know, like all the top Bauhaus architects moved to Chicago, started this, you know, so-called Chicago school. I, you know, if you, if you go down the waterfront of Chicago, it's amazing. because there's like, there are, there are all these Mies van der Rohe towers, but the, the first residential towers in America, you know, that were like built, like to look like office towers in a way, right? Like, yeah, that, yeah. you know, the condo tower that well, we all it, sort of technology maligned. made it possible to build higher. It just wasn't possible before. And, but they did that in what it, it's amazing is that they did that in Chicago before they did it anywhere else, right? And so this even, episode you know, is about Chicago now. Well, <laughs> it's true, it's true. Well, aging that's interesting because so this architecture has aged very well, actually. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, that skyline you, you can look at it, you can be like, is that from well, this yeah. decade or is it from four decades ago? Someone architecture like, no, yeah, is like very funny with when it comes to aging. If you think of uh, beautiful architecture and beautiful cities. You often think of a city like Paris or maybe the center of Amsterdam is very iconic or Venice. And so Europeans have this mm -hmm. um, feeling of like, oh, we make the best architecture because we have all these old city centers. But then I feel like modern architecture is way better in the U.S. And the 
any modern architecture, at least in the Netherlands, everybody's like, oh, there's so much cool design in the Netherlands. But a lot of the social housing or building projects didn't age well. And somebody mm -hmm. in the 80s was like, this is a great idea. And now they have to tear it all down. So the, the architecture is 400 years old, aged well, but then the architecture from the 80s is like, oof. Mm -hmm. I would say Chicago is exceptional in that regard because it has the best... And it's usually because it's the original example. Like if Mies makes the tower versus someone copying It was the spark of the Mies. idea. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you know, like Toronto has a lot of copycat, you know, co sorry, copycat cookie cutter architecture that's really horrible because we don't have the originals. I mean, we do have a Mies van der Rohe tower, but just one kind of thing. Yeah. There are a few other examples. But, you know, and if you look at, you know, certain like new build cities where they're just like springing stuff up, sometimes there's like all the new fancy architects that are on the scene. It's very interesting, it's right? Just, if you look yeah, I, w I wish there were recordings of the meetings. When, and it, the, the, the worst aging uh, architecture I know is the, um, in Utrecht, there's the Hoogkaterijne, uh, it's this mm -hmm. area, we'll put it in the show notes. And it was a, a beautiful 17th century, it still is a, a beautiful old cent city center with canals like Amsterdam. And they were like, oh, we have this canal. Let's fill it with concrete and build this shopping mall. And I just wanted to, if only we could have the, the, the footage of that meeting where people are like, right. yeah, what's this stinky old canal? Let's get rid of it and build a mall. I think we've talked about it in the past, though. Like yeah. That did happen in New York with between Oh, Jim it happened Jacobs in the, and, the, I think there's a Moser. website with all the post offices and train stations. They tore up to build parking lots of malls. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, we have inherited that <laughs> uh, and we're living with it. As far as aging, I think that, you know, the listener is really interested in like, how does a career age and how do you do that gracefully? And you and I can at least talk I'm, about... I'm always struggling not to make this a uh, 10 steps to build your career podcast. No, but like yeah. we can be vulnerable for a second and yeah. we can talk about, you know, how for me anyway, it's been very precarious since the very beginning. Like I've never felt really quite certain. About your of, age? Of what, about my age and about my, my competency. So, like, one well, of the things that uh, is let definitely me, true. Let me give you a piece of advice to everybody out there. <laughs> okay, we're all okay. listening. You're listening. Um, you suck, you're not good at anything, and you're not competent. But you can't change who you are, so you just have to do what you do. And then if people like it, they like it. If they don't like it, they don't. That's all there is. You, it, thinking about whether you're good or bad is completely unproductive helps you zero so you shouldn't even think about being competent or not because you can't you can't change cars or change shoes you're stuck with you so <laughs> just do what you do and whether it's good or bad is not up to you yeah that's good advice yeah but it's, it's and a, you're gonna yeah, grow old so end of story like, worrying about that <laughs> such a dutch point of view is like yeah. um it's so straightforward and yet like Doubt creeps in even when you know. That no, you know it's right. not that I have convinced myself of this emotionally. Like I try to, but mm -hmm. that's really the core of it. Is like having doubts about yourself. Is like having well, doubts about I, where you were. Yeah, but let's go. Let's, like you, you, <clears throat> you would. Yeah, I don't know. But like, think of yourself as a young artist. You know what? Are, what are the goals or the, what's rewarded in art? It's like. It's, you know, the number one thing. But it's rewarded. all a scam. Like, nobody knows no, 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 what's but good. It's not, so. skills, skills not rewarded. So we can take that off the table now. Yeah. We can, and effort we can is not rewarded safely. either. Effort and skill, don't even worry about it, right? But yeah. what is rewarded is novelty, but 
theoretically ideology or like a significant like new new thinking right new well, thinking has been rewarded. energy is also rewarded if you just uh, yeah. if you're excited about what you're doing yeah but if you're out there and you're just starting out it's very frustrating because you're looking everyone's telling you oh have you seen this artist or have you seen that in comparison to your own work and it can be very frustrating because you're like trying to find your own path and people keep telling you it's been done it's been done it's been done it's been done and it can often feel like i think i mean for me this was this was important early on and then when i did find a path that i didn't think had been done i was like i started just running really fast in that direction but i think the thing that i can share is when you find something new people will also tell you it sucks <laughs> because they won't be able to relate it to something that they know um and they might be interested or excited, but it takes a long time. And so what I was going to say is, I guess the point I wanted to make was that um, one thing that's held true for me, like, you know, I agree with everything you just said, Raph, but it's been mostly about just showing up for a long time and saying the same thing. Mm. <laughs> and so I, I was thinking about this as I was presenting in Syracuse. Okay, so it's because, about persistence. Yeah, I was like presenting an idea that I had, when I went to Syracuse, when I entered the school, I came in with a thesis. I was like, the camera has become the computer, and the computer is now the internet, and now the camera is the internet. And I was giving this talk, which is expands on that idea and talks about how the camera is actually more than that, camera's capital. But anyway, I've given this talk now for 12 years straight, actually more than that, like 15 years straight. And I've built on it a little bit here and there and I've added some nuance. Um, I've mostly taken things out of it and tried to make it even you know more and more simple. Um, but I've been saying the same thing, right? And so it, I, it's just showing up. Like I've just showed up every day and, 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 I, and I'm still not successful. I'm not saying I am, but I'm just saying like a lot of people come out of the woodwork in those moments. They're like, oh yeah, I've been following your work for years or whatever. Or like, I'm still, your, I'm glad you're still around or you're still doing this. Like not everything happens right away, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, that's for sure. And I think the, it, if, if I could plan it, I would rather have a, a slow career than a hype career that crashes. So, uh, But if someone came to you like 10 years ago and was like, hey, that thing you're doing, you're going to keep doing that for the next 25 years in slight variations. What would you t- well, that wouldn't seem like very good advice. They'd be, <laughs> or it would seem like not um, not something you wanted to sign up for. It, it's the cliche that people worry about. Like, do I have to do the same thing my whole career? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really up to you. I think there's examples of it working where someone just consistently works on details of a of the same idea for a whole lifetime, and it can be. Amazing. Well, I was going to tie uh, architecture back to this because yeah. you know I was talking to someone about Vito Acconci <clears throat> because I was talking to them about oh I was talking to a curator about who was curator of architecture um, at the Museum of Contemporary Art and he was or he liked curating shows about architecture and we talked about artists who like you know architects getting into art and artists getting into architecture and then Vito Acconci came up and we were both just like. God, that guy's architecture work was terrible. <laughs> his video artwork was amazing, right? And like he tried yeah, to Yeah, like David Lynch, I don't care for his visual art, but if it helps mm-hmm. him to make movies, then uh. Well, yeah, like but Vito Conchi was always so mad because he do every time he did a talk, you know, until he died just a few years ago, people would ask him to talk about his video and he'd be like, "I don't want to talk about that. I stopped doing that work 30 years ago. Yeah. I want to talk about architecture." Yeah. And people are like, but your architecture work sucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's this megalomaniac side to artists that if they succeed as an artist, they're like, but I can, wait, I, I can did art, I can also do that. And then, mm. uh, uh, <clears throat> like, Robert Longo directed Johnny Mnemonic, the movie. 
mm-hmm. which was considered a flop, but I like it. But yeah, I don't I mean, know what we're getting at. <laughs> well, I'm trying to get to this point where we discuss like what you know is it, is it really about age and there's aging of the body, but like the ideas aging actually of a concept? don't. Aging of a, yeah, do ideas age and do does does stuff yeah, come yeah, in yeah, yeah. out of fashion? Um, you know, I think of like artists like Carolee Schneeman who were ignored for like decades and now are like, you know, back, just as they're, you know, getting very close to, uh, I, I shouldn't be saying this right, but like they're getting very high in years. And so their body really is at risk. Yeah, yeah. you can you can um, look at average life expectancy and uh, look at, yeah, did I, suddenly do I smoke or drink? I'm probably going to be 85 or whatever. So you can be yeah. like, I'm at 20% of my lifetime or I'm at 40%. So people are rediscovering their work or like now is the time to do the retrospective or whatever. It's yeah. like, where, where were you during my middle years kind of thing? I guess I'm just trying to get at this, you know, there are these stages. There are, I, you know, in art, I think like there's nothing ever that's fair about it but it's like this just showing up and saying the same thing for like 40 years is kind of what you're asked to do um and it's like a research project that that, that you just keep on yeah. but what's also interesting is uh it's the same in technology as in art that sometimes mm-hmm. things are invented but the time is not ready for it so someone might invent something whether it's a new way of seeing things uh, a mm-hmm. new way of using a camera or a new technology and it flops and people like and just 10 years later like oh this makes total sense now now it's now now i can now i see it or now i see its place or now i see its role right like um, like, like a, the video the, phone yeah. was invented in the 1930s and it took skype mm-hmm. uh, to really make it useful yeah and it's the funny thing is video uh conferencing no one would have ever predicted it would be most useful in business not or maybe they would have but it's like barely used in residential context but it's mostly used in business right yeah um yeah. Uh, but i was gonna say like you know we can even look at recent examples right like google google glass god saying google glass is hard but um google glass uh you know a lot of people said it was too early as a technology but actually and, you know, so people are continuing to try and introduce augmented reality stuff. But actually, they're just a bunch of things that weren't technically uh, feasible, right? Like the battery only lasted 15 minutes. Well, I'm not going to wear a pair of glasses for 15 minutes. It doesn't make any sense, right? Um, or like the image was like low resolution. Well, that's not a pleasurable experience. So a lot of times it's a new idea, but it's not refined enough yet. And so people, it fails to capture people's imagination but more so than that it's like it's actually not practical i wonder if the same can be true in art like you know you're a bright young well, artist you i think a, a there's tons idea. of examples of uh, artists and musicians that start something that later on becomes a big movement and it's not that mm-hmm. they directly did that they were just a bit early to the party it's really literally like when you're early to a party and you're like yeah. you're, you're in the party mood but there's only three other people and they're setting up the candles <laughs> and you're walking around going like but it's not that many people yet so i know you wanted me to find a way to get to apple because you wanted to do a podcast about apple and i think well i I was just thinking we did all the big companies we did an episode about google we did almost every episode about amazon we did an episode about facebook and then well what about (laughs) apple but i think apple is is exactly that so it's the it's the like wiser uncle that comes in later into the party or something yeah (laughs) like swoops they're, they're older than microsoft they're really pretty old yeah, but they're like the they're like the savvy aunt or something. Like they 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 watch what the early guys are doing, the early girls, and then they they see like they don't that's do yeah there. they don't do uh, shopping or retail. They don't do social. 
they don't do search like all the but new often, the new cool they're things they're first. not doing yeah yeah they're they're rarely the first one but then they try they don't always succeed at at taking an idea that's already out there and successful and doing a little bit better and saying we did it first um, but what they mean is we did it first well like the iPod wasn't the first digital music player there are all these terrible I mean, it's so cliche to, you know, even as a story now, there are all these terrible Rio MP3 players that like had small amounts of memory and the interface was not easy to use. But more so than that, they weren't really marketed as mainstream products. So Apple can take like all of these kind of nerd aesthetics and repackage them as like something you you thought you all, yeah. you, you know, you could never have lived without, right? One thing that I find very funny, it, it, I think any headline criticizing Apple gets more clicks so it, people will write things like, oh, I had a terrible experience at the Apple store and then get lots of clicks. Mm. The, f- the funny thing to me is all the outrage every year about Apple losing ports or a disk drive. And it's like, <laughs> it's been the same conversation for 20 years. Oh no, they lost the floppy disk. Oh no, they Seriously. lost the SD card. They lost the headphone jack. And everybody, <laughs> and it's the exact same move. Every year they try to get thinner and less ports and less buttons. And there's yeah, yeah, no yeah. surprise whatsoever. <laughs> oh, why didn't they make a pro laptop that has a lot of power and it might weigh 15 pounds, but I want the biggest graphics? No, they're going thinner and lighter already. Since <laughs> since the day they started, they wanted to be less, not more. And but every and then really this is more clickbait. More, yeah, <laughs> it's a good point though because it's exactly what we're saying about an artist, right? Like it, the artist that's consistent does the same thing. You know, they, no, I'm not going to add an extra port or I'm yeah. not going to add an extra color. No, we're going to um, USB-C, get, get your new cables, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so they're about to do this again. They're finally announced a date for their like new HomePod speaker, which is their attempt to like compete with, um, with, the, with I guess, uh, the Amazon Alexa. I think or they're competing with, Echo, with, with uh, uh, music, like people who, who want a little bit better sound, not so much with well, so, the, I want to talk so to Alexa and buy diapers. So, so then it's Sonos that they're going after. Yeah, yeah. So Sonos, small company, I think they're going to, after Bang & Olufsen. That's really, it's sort of as well. as aspirational, minimalist, home stereo. Now, are you familiar with this concept of like a blue ocean versus a red ocean? No. It sounds okay, so intriguing. <laughs> it's a very simple concept, but in product strategy, it's it's super important, which is like when you're building a, a new product <clears throat> or you're a, com- a company and you're looking at the competitive landscape, you're always looking for blue ocean. There are two types of ocean. So blue ocean is where it's an area, it's positioning, right? It's like a way of doing things that no one else is doing. And a red ocean is a place where someone else is already doing the same thing, right? Um, and so like, if you looked at the speaker market, there's a lot of red ocean around um, the intelligence of the speaker, right? Because there's the Amazon Echo, which is very popular, but now Google's in there too. And Google's fighting just as hard as Amazon, right? So Apple's looking at that landscape and saying like, okay, I could go into that red ocean. It's called red ocean because there are sharks biting each other, I guess. There's a fight going on. There's some thrash. If I go into that red ocean, now I have to beat two competitors. It feels where, like Moses what, staring at the ocean. Yeah. Where, you know, I, and I have a lot of money, sure. But like, where could I get a foothold that there are less competitors? And they think, hmm, audio quality. Yeah, you're right. There's Bang & Olsen. They don't have artificial intelligence, but we do. There's Sonos. They don't really have AI. I guess they kind of have, uh, you can get Alexa built into a Sonos now or something like that. Or Sonos is working on their own AI. But they anyway, they're further behind. And so I, we could 
we could beat them on AI and we can probably match them on quality. So we'll create a we'll create it's not blue ocean, but we can beat that it's red purple ocean. ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sonos found the blue ocean, right? Yeah. Like and they they've had what like a decade of 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 success, yeah. right? I don't I don't think Sonos sounds good. But I think if if you if you look at the quadrants, Sonos is actually Apple will be in new blue ocean because there's going to be Sonos is in pure uh, yeah, that's quality. Yeah, that's the funny other thing that people get riled up every time any Apple product they say, but it's too expensive. Every time they release a product. Yeah, that's people that's like, blue ocean as well. You yeah. can use price segmentation to yeah. carve out. Like if you're in the premium side of the market, that's a blue ocean because you're not fighting for the bottom. You're not fighting no, for the low end. No, you can't make a phone that's six hundred dollars. Nobody's gonna buy that. Well, yeah, a yeah, large remember, segment. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah, People don't know about product segmentation or, or customer segmentation, and like it's important to know. Yeah, that there's a whole bunch of people with a lot of. It can be actually for a lot of companies make this mistake. It can be better profit on the high end than it can be on the low yeah, end. Yeah. So, going after a high end market and selling fewer of something is sometimes the right strategy. It, it, In fact, a lot of. Times. I am intrigued that um, most. Sorry, I went off of. Yeah, <laughs> on a tangent I'm intrigued there. with this multi-directional speaker idea because. For so long, audiophiles are like, you have to position the speakers in the right way, and if you want to listen to music, you sit in this chair. That's where the music mm-hmm. sounds the best. Yeah. But of course, you don't live your life listening to music sitting in a chair. Very few people. Most people listen to music while they do something in a corner of the room or in the kitchen. So um, it's the same argument with like an SLR and setting it upright and having a good camera. Of course, that would be great, but there's the camera you always have with you. Yeah, which is so, your phone. So, you know, it's not the best lens, but we're going to make the best of it with computation. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, uh, we should try and get this back to aging. I mean, yeah. uh, you're talking about some, an old idea about uh, sound, actually. So the is old idea is, is the sweet spot and the room that you set up perfectly to listen to. You, you put on a record and listen to it. <clears throat> yeah. But the new idea is the, the speaker, uh, like, maps the room and figures out the the way and the best sound way to bounces go. around yeah yeah of course we haven't like, heard the home pod but i've i've heard the sonos one and then certain tracks you're like wow this sounds good and then you put mm-hmm. on another track and it's it really sounds like a tiny it is a tiny speaker so and then you're like yeah but the, the trend in speakers is towards speakers that self-calibrate so i think like you know our parents generation or the older generation would have been like i want like full eqs i want to be able to customize like the treble the bass like all the little yeah it's the same with slrs versus phone cameras yeah but now the market's going towards this concept of like hey the speaker's smarter than you (laughs) it's a you know what's really interesting about it is it's like almost modernist and it's gall it's like It's like, um, no. But we that's also about consistent this. <laughs> in their idea. They always figure it out. Like, people are like, no, I want to put my own graphics card and I want to have my, my choice of mouse and I want to have my choice of screen and I want to customize everything. That's not yeah. what they do. So, my question is do you think that, you know, this idea um, is going to get old? You know, like, so I guess this is an. Well, they tried the we, modular phones, no? Where they, you yeah. could swap the camera and swap the processor and, and that didn't work. Yeah, I'm trying to tie back to aging, but I guess like we're on a trajectory, which we can t- maybe like our listeners will allow this, will loosely tie back to aging, which is that we're on a trajectory trajectory of simplification and automation. That is to say, more and more of what we yeah. typically let the camera about. figure out that there's snow. Like it used to be, if you would go on a ski vacation, it's like oh, you have to underexpose one stop because there's so much white in the image. Mm-hmm. And now it's more like, well, the camera knows what snow is, so it will adjust to that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so like, what's important about that uh, from a product design perspective, I can share. It's actually very difficult to know exactly what people intend in all situations. But these companies are so big and employ so many people that that's what most of their job now is just figuring out. Hmm, I wonder what they're trying to do. I'm going to try and do that for them. Yeah, and I wonder if it's impo- if it, it'll be po- if anyone's going to protest or if it's going to just keep going. Until we eventually get to the singular point of view, or singular even aesthetic, or whether it'll explode. And there's two directions it could go. Like, the, it starts to determine the best outcomes for us, or it yeah. starts to learn from us in such a way that it starts to create subjective points of view, I, uh, like I, yeah. the technology learns from each individual. I had an exhibition at the Eye Museum with these big LED screens, mm-hmm. uh, and they're extremely bright, and the room was kind of dimly lit. And I had a, f- a Fuji mirrorless, uh, I think, XT camera with me, my sister's. And I had my iPhone. And the XT had incredible noise reduction. So I looked at the mm-hmm. photos and everything was much smoother. Mm-hmm. But the iPhone really got the lighting right. It understood, somehow it understood, oh, I want the the animations on the screen to pop. And I want all the people to be silhouettes. It's not about the people, and the the Fuji camera decided, hey, let's get the most light of the whole room, and let's have a more equal. Uh, I guess I guess the iPhone automatically does HDR. That's maybe what I'm. Somehow, mm-hmm. it, I I can't even. I would have to go back and, and do multiple exposures and etc. But it, for the quick picture, just the phone just gets it. Mm-hmm. Well, because we're talking about aging, like yeah. You know, putting these technologies in the hands of older people, um, I, it's... In, well, Apple's in famous for their dad jokes, right, at, at their presentations. Well, it's like, it, it, this is actually like a bit of a touchy topic, because like when you're working in a software company, you know, you're not supposed... You can't say like mom or dad anymore, because certainly like... Because the old cliche was like, oh, would my mom be able to use it or whatever? <laughs> mm-hmm. And but like at this well, point, well, we've all been there at Christmas where we have to help our parents with their IT problems. Yeah, but at this point, it's not really an acceptable thing because I meet young people now all the time who are as technically savvy or I mean, or less technically savvy than my parents were. My parents, and I think we're all now of a generation where our parents probably bought. The, you know, a computer in their 20s or something like that. Mm. And that computer was way harder to use than the computer that you used today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's like, like oh, I was I coding can, in assembly. Yeah. yeah, so if I hand my dad, like, Photoshop or something, you know, my dad's, like, almost 70, my mom's, they could use that, but, like, if I give them the iPhone that's been, like, dumbed down and there's, like, a hidden control or something like that, they're they're like what? How do I use how this? How do I obelisk? adjust the levels? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do I adjust that? Where's the and EQ? So, it's like no, we, it figures it to, out for you. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And there's this myth that we've created things that are easier to use, but for whom? Um, for a generation of people who were raised differently, potentially, or I mean, anyway, it like, I find my yeah. parents are more and more confused by easier and easier to use technologies. Yeah, it, it it's almost like um, it photography used to be about editing and deciding what goes in the album in a physical album and that mm-hmm. the album gets better if you do more if you narrow it down if you right. remember people doing slideshows of the vacation yeah. it's so boring if they don't edit it down you're like oh my god how am i going right. to get through this <laughs> and now it's more about just shoot an infinite amount of photos and the algorithm will create an album Oh, yeah. I, le- I love it when my phone's like, we've created a new story for you. Like, go watch this, mem- or new memory. Does it ever um, get it right? 
It's ridiculous usually. I, I you know, <laughs> take all these photos of your toes when you accidentally <laughs> press the button. Yeah, exactly. But I think like it, it is an interesting thought to think like maybe we're not on a, a road toward progress. Maybe it's like it, it could be that it's actually going in reverse, and we wouldn't even realize it. It's yeah. just because it's moving so, but, in a direction. But we can summarize Apple by always uh, reducing buttons and choices to. Uh, uh, just click and, uh, and and there's no surprise there. And everybody, every time they, they reduce another thing where they take away a choice, people are like, but I missed that button. It's like, no. You I know. But it, yeah. It's personal to me because we redesigned our product at work, uh, at FreshBooks where I work. And like, is, lot, is, is been... Apple a reference point when you design products where you're like, no, that's too Apple-y or let's get yeah, rid yeah, of the buttons. But, yeah. But but not as much as you think. And I in the last year I've gotten so many like Twitter responses or like emails about people that be like you've really, you know, you've really gone too far. You're you're turning you're taking the Apple school of thought. Like Apple is the like design yeah, demon. Yeah, cuz Android Microsoft was always more an approach where it works on any hardware, so there's more adjustments and it, there's more customization. Yeah, but people are really mad. So they're mad that like it's like it's beautiful, but it's terrible to use. <laughs> You've made it harder to use. And I'm like, well, we you know we, we did really did our best to make it easier to use. And also like one of the thing insights that we uh, hear from people all the time about like an old, our old version of product which looked more complicated than our new one is that like the old one was overwhelming, and so it would discourage any use. You know, usually and products Apple- get more complicated over time, so it's a very different approach. Uh, well, this is, I guess the point I was trying to make is, and we can relate this back to art careers too, like once you've given people a menu of selections, <laughs> if you take things off the menu, yeah, uh, then they get very angry. Well, Apple is famous for it's... not giving a fuck and taking a lot of things off the menu. <laughs> and it, it, they remember the heyday of, of Microsoft Word where the, the menus were three quarters of the screen and then you could mm-hmm. write in a, a little section between <laughs> right. all the toolbars. <laughs> But this is the thing that I think we lose in this conversation, uh, and it is a conversation about aging because it's like as you lose faculties as you age or whatever, you lose functionality in your in your older age, you gain something else, um, which is not really often talked about. We'll say like simpler is better, right? But why, right? So like as you age, like you said, you you're able to make choices more consciously and to actually fulfill. Um, your expectations. So it's like you want a car, you get to choose which car. Like you can afford to do that or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you want to choose to live where you you know you, you don't live with your parents. Where are you going to live? You get to choose where you're going to live in the world, kind of thing. Not everyone gets these choices. Uh, don't get me wrong, but let's say, generally speaking, people get a little more choice as they go on in life until they get to a point where their body makes certain choices for them. But in that decision making process you're probably going to choose to do a lot less of the things you don't like or don't want to do, right? Like you're going to say, I don't want to live in a city that is like suburban in its, or that favors the car or something like that, right? So you're going to get rid of the feature in your product, which is your life, <laughs> called a highway-driven you know, like system, a city or whatever. Like you're, you're not going to live in LA, you're going to live in New York. Yeah. Um, does that make... New York a worse city or your life a, a worse product than the product you had before because you've taken that away <laughs> it's a weird, it's just, I don't know this is a bit of a tangent but I, what I'm trying to get at is the, fa- is the fact that product companies do the same thing and but you also do the same thing in your life which is you make choices um, toward a certain end or goal right like it's it really always comes back down to the goal or the personal the personal preference in, in relationship with a goal which we've talked about before I think so like uh, making 
making choices when Apple removes a USB port, they're ch- they're not necessarily just making the choice to remove it to make your life difficult. They might be trying to achieve something that you don't yet know they're trying to achieve, which giving them a lot of credit. But it might be like, well, because if we do these things, then all devices become more simple, right? But very rarely does the consumer see it that way. Except all, they they won't put USB C on the their mobile devices. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're going to catch them in these like little catch twenty two things, yeah. and you don't know what that team versus the other team is thinking. I can say like because I have the MacBook Pro, the USB C thing is not such a big deal. Um, it's the more annoying thing is the device manufacturers haven't actually followed along like if you go on Amazon right now and you do a search for like USB-C hard drive there's only like a like one option from Lacie you know like their Porsche drive and it's like so you're going to pay $20 more and you're not going to get the Seagate <laughs> but it's or a cool Porsche drive <laughs> yeah what the fuck is it's it? the Apple Sorry, lifestyle everything is a little I, I little I, more expensive and branded but it feels good yeah I don't know if we're totally off track in this one. Oh, yes. What I'm trying to say yeah, is but like... That, but that's okay. But uh, let's talk about the aging of artworks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Actually, it's true. We should... <laughs> there's so much to talk about in art, not in technology. Yeah. I um, mean, I, I don't want to talk about digital preservation. That's a whole uh, podcast Oh, really? Own. You're disappointing a huge section of our Yeah, but we'll, we'll do or... a separate episode. About, <laughs> but I want to talk more about the... The aging of aesthetics or the aging of the the impact of the work, and where it's very unpredictable. Sometimes a work, when it's made, it's it doesn't click, and it clicks forty mm-hmm. years later, or it could be the other way around. Or um, yeah, so that happens. So I also think it's in- interesting to think about that outside of just the art. So like, if you look at it, like let's take um, the internet art aesthetics that you and I are familiar with from the early two thousands. Those are now part and parcel of a design aesthetic called speculative design or in speculative graphic design that is the you know a contemporary format but it, for us for you and I it's at least 10 years old like that that style right? can you can you put it um, to words the, the, the aesthetic be, and it would be funny if you try to describe yeah, it the, <laughs> the aesthetic would be intentional I would say it's just intentionally ugly or intentionally amateurish and you're talking about um, web design choices. or artworks, or I think in graphic design, it's it's um, ironic. And, yeah, there's a but certain you, irony built into it. Can you describe it visually? Tool. Can you just if you describe the aesthetic, what do you see in front of you? You would see like a squiggly line with a drop shadow, and it's embossed. You know, it's got a, a okay. A cheap so the appropriation of, of Photoshop filters and and easy and like default template. Things. Yeah, default default. And then a, a little uh, bit of um, effects. A little bit of Greek sculptures and uh, Roman columns and things like that. Yeah, just to make sure that you're and like early three D. You're winking at the entire well, history here, of Here's an interesting <laughs> thing with early three D. I, I remember when early three D animation came out, and everything looked shiny. It was just really mm-hmm. hard to render things that are not shiny. So yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. you think of Toy Story, they, they chose plastic toys because they're already shiny. So you're not bothered by the shininess. And mm-hmm. going to animation that's like Planet of the Apes, when the apes are not shiny, that took a long yeah. time. So early 3D, when it came out, it was, <clears throat> it was kind of the, the aesthetics... Uh, were defined by the limitations of the technology. There was no way of... I'm looking at your avatar right now, your your Skype avatar. You're holding a hand and all these primitive uh, 3D shapes come out and they're all shiny. That was mm-hmm. that was the toolkit. It was shiny. End yeah. of story. Yeah. And then that was like mid-80s, early 3D animation and up until, <laughs> you know, that came yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. 
And those aesthetics are kind of impartial. They're just the, the only thing that was possible. It's like mm-hmm. there was nothing else. And then slowly things got more realistic. And then some hipsters were, hipsters are always kind of longing for an aesthetic of the past and thinking, oh, why, why have things gotten so realistic? The early 3D was more cute. Mm-hmm. So it's the first wave of nostalgia and uh, melancholy in about three-dimensional representation. That's kind of what that aesthetic is. Mm-hmm. It's a it, it's it's the equivalent of uh, longing for the so days may- of vinyl. So maybe when we picked up on it, it was already. Uh, you say we, but I don't feel like I was part of that. But <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. But I think I mean uh, the vernacular web, you know, um, which was the sort of amateur internet art aesthetic that came, you know, out of GeoCities and stuff. That was already picking up on stuff that was coming out of the 80s is kind of your argument. And so there's yeah. this continuous... Well, it, it, what I'm saying is it, 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 it was an aesthetic, uh, uh, it was a choice. And before it wasn't a choice, it was the only option. Yeah, and I think like, I mean, the same is true in music, where music continuously, spe- specifically after sampling, right? Like after hip hop or whatever, uh, musicians started to, you know, mine the past for sounds and reinterpret them right and that's part of just a postmodern aesthetic would be i mean it's really stupid for you know it's impossible not to talk about this without talking about you know how postmodernism stopped thinking we could generate new ideas and that recombinations of old ideas was the only way forward yeah or or that was the freshest thing yeah the freshest thing was the old thing yeah Um, but i i think it's interesting uh that that you Almost like in in science, you create uh, hypotheses and statements and uh, tools. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then years later, someone's like, "Hey, that equation is very useful right now." Or, "Oh, that equation is very very useful right now." Or, "Let's look at that and and flip that one." And uh, well, one of my questions about our current state of affairs, though, is that is that there's such a dense there's so much density in terms of the pool or the the data set is so yeah, large. And the archive the is so big. The archive is so, so big accessible. that any point of reference is no longer historic. It's completely flat. Like time, time is flattened by the scale of the database. And so, like I could reference something thinking I'm referencing something from five years ago, but it actually might already be yeah, exactly. You know, like you know, the, the, the squiggles deep. you talk about were mm-hmm. actually um, abstract expressionist ideas. Yeah, or, or you could you could go back to Egyptians, and it, it just keeps coming. There's a I think I talked about this before, but there was a documentary on cave painting, and there were already sort of Mondrian-esque cave paintings 30,000 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. So what you're getting at is actually really interesting, which is like, what are the timeless... There are ideas that are almost timeless. But maybe you know, all like ideas are. Yeah, maybe it's very... Like, here's one. Let me drop one on you. It's like geometry. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, it's like, that's not going anywhere, right? Like, I bet in 20 years or 30 years or 100 years, I'm going to, if I go forward in my time machine or I'm still alive, 100 years, that's hopeful. Um, I'll ask, you know, hey, I'll go do a studio visit with someone. I'll be like, what's this about? Geometry, sacred geometry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it just it like, comes oh, back yeah, in style right every 10,000 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so there are some ideas that should we drop our ads? We, oh yeah, yes, we have an ad, it. and it's a very exciting ad. Yeah, we always forget about the ad. Okay, let's. Uh, okay. you have the first line. Okay, hey Raf, have you ever relaunched part of your own website? Yes, Jeremy, it's an exciting feeling. I just made my website more mobile compatible. Wow, I wonder what that feels like. As you know, I don't put my work on a website because it makes the ephemeral moment 
that much more special. True, but Jeremy, did you know not everyone has the privilege to not have a website? <laughs> so true. I sure am lucky. Well, Raf, I brought this up because there's some exciting news in the website update sector. Did you know that Printed Matter, the world's largest artist bookstore, recently updated their website? No, I didn't. What's the update about? Well, I'm bringing it up on the podcast because the updates could be extremely useful for our listeners. Get this. Printed Matter just launched an artist's resource section. And just like your website, it's now mobile compatible as well. Amazing. Printed matter, type printed matter into the Google search bar. Wow, you're right. I can't wait to explore this more while we're, when we're done talking. Awesome. So visit uh, Printed Matter uh, in your Google search bar. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. That's a kind of a proud moment for us in a way. Printed Matter, I've been a huge fan of. Of course, I'm a yeah. huge fan of all of our advertisers, but like this is a legit yeah, like, cool fact. Speaking about aging, right? Printed Matter has yeah, been around uh, yeah. forever. Well, they're... they're it, it, it is one of the things that is interesting with aging, not getting into the specifics of software restoration, but that mm-hmm. when artworks age, they seem to become, um, they, they gain something. Most things when they, uh, like a, I guess some old cars gain something and some old cars are just raggedy old pieces of trash. And maybe it's the same with artworks, but you know what I mean? That if You're talking about patina? I'm I'm talking about if a painting wasn't that interesting, you know, just somebody made it, but you find Mm -hmm. it 100 years later, just because it lasted 100 years and it's broken, it's like, oh, this must be important. (laughs) I found a treasure. That's true. That's true. Like, I mean, or there could be like um, some kind of constraint that's placed on it to make it seem more valuable or be more valuable. Yeah, but you you find an old game or an old console and you've gotten it to work. And it gives you a thrill just because it's old. Yeah. But one of the things people don't talk about is that there's a certain scarcity in that. So even if there were a lot of that thing made, the human population increases such that as a proportion of the overall population, maybe they made 100,000 and that was a lot in 1950. But today, 100,000 is not very much of anything, right? Yeah. Um, And then a lot of those would have been broken or not. So just by surviving, you can gain, uh, it, it can gain relevance just by lasting. Yeah, I mean, that's my point about persistence, generally speaking. Like, So if you think about aging as an artist, just to come back on my original point, which is like, if you're just, if you just stick around, <laughs> like, and don't, you just continue to do the thing that you're doing exactly at this moment for the next 10 years, a bunch of people are going to doubt themselves and, and pull out, like almost like a stock market or something. Like they're not going to do it. Um, they're going to give up. And you'll still be around doing that thing, and you'll get some attention for it. Like I'm not saying you're getting a lot of attention, but you'll get some attention. Yeah, it's inevitable. Yeah, it, it, there's been a whole thing in the art market where, for a while, very young emerging painting and uh, what they call abstraction or zombie formalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it had a lot of promise because it, art is weird. Nobody can really tell what's good or bad, and then the new stuff has this incredible growth potential. So that was the cool thing for about five years. Everybody's like, oh, let's let's buy this up, pump and dump, blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> everybody figured out, oh, it's actually not that historically relevant. And uh, it's weird that a, a 25-year-old artist goes at auction for a million <laughs> and a Joseph Albers painting goes for 250000 So now there was a correction. All of a sudden, it was all about, all the auctions were about forgotten historical figures and a lot of f- yeah, female yeah. artists because they were ignored because they were female. So... Then all of a sudden you get this fetishization of uh, forgotten stuff. 
mm-hmm. and then there's always a correction. So all of a sudden, it's like, well, we not every student of Joseph Albers is interesting. And uh, oh, we we found this artist from the '70s that did triangles, and we found the artist from the '70s that did octagons, and we found this artist from the '70s that did squares, and we found this artist from the '70s that did angular and you know it's some so then there'll be a correction people are excited mm-hmm. about the new again i guess it's all in waves yeah i guess yeah that's one thing you can rely on is sort of, sort of some kind of cyclical thing yeah things are going to come in and out of fashion but not yeah and so for, so first everybody's like oh this is new 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 and then oh we found the old old, old yeah mm-hmm. we're not getting yeah, so anywhere I, with this episode <laughs> well we kind of are, are which is the yeah. you know the yeah the good point end point is kind of <laughs> is is inherent in here which is that like the cycles are getting faster and more compressed, you know, and and we we have access to a greater and greater amount of information, you know, to look at what like for a curator to go research the piece pieces that you were just talking about, maybe, um, you know, 50 years ago it would have been difficult. They'd have to actually have to physically travel to a destination, look through the archive, like find something, um, you know, come back, figure it out, like go. there would be negotiation back and forth, a lot of tra- physical interaction. But like with the everything research being virtual the cycles are are tighter, right? Like, and the artists that you were talking about that were doing crabstraction or, uh, you know, any of the zombie formalist stuff, they were, they were ideologically kind of representative of like, hey, we have all of history at our fingertips on our laptop studios. Um, we can, we can like determine, you know, the ideal aesthetic kind of trajectory and we can repurpose that and represent it and sort of do well. Um, For, you know, even a yeah. friend of ours, Jonas Lund, he did like a study of like, he looked at a hundred years of art sales at Sotheby's and like determined the ideal characteristics of a painting that sells at a high price. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but we can look at, we can survey all of history and kind of make these determinations about what's true or what's, you know, like the, the geometry joke I made earlier. And I think that what you're saying is the reaction against that is probably, and this probably will persist, will become, I don't think it's going to be cyclical. I think we're going to get to this point where people are looking for the thing that's impossible to find and therefore new ideas actually will come back into style. I, th- I feel like we're on the verge of that. Like some people have tried to like package yeah. that um, when, as the new aesthetic or whatever. One thing about aging, when I think about aging, it, I often think about music because it's uh, when you're young, music is such a big part of uh, finding out who you relate to. So mm-hmm. what's your group and your you know, your tribe, the, the cringy word, but so I remember discovering Nirvana and that changed everything for me and it, the way that music hits you when you're 14, 15. Mm. Yeah, you never get to experience that again. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think that because of technology and streaming music that I've discovered a lot of things that if I had to buy it, I probably wouldn't have discovered it. And now I'm discovering classical music, so that's very interesting as well. But it's almost like uh, your BIOS is being written and later it's, it's applications on top of an operating system. But well, when you're four or five like, and you see a yeah. cartoon for the first time, it, it's really it's very deep. Uh, so th- there's not so many layers of information. And, uh, uh, but I think you're making a really good point. And it's a question that maybe I have for our listeners because, you know, as someone who's aging, I find my experience more and more dull like the world is in less and less sharp focus, you know, like more and more data is blurring together. Um, like more and more of my life is like time is compressed. It's very in my complicated memory. because at the same time, you also have more references. So 
something that might have been impressive to you, uh, now you're jaded. But when you do discover something impressive now, you have such a vast library that you're, you can really, you have more tools to say why that's impressive. Why? And and you maybe it's more impressive because you're such a snob. And then if something hits mm-hmm. you, it's like, whoa. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's like you could use the example of someone who's never been to an art museum and is just like turned off of it completely because they don't understand anything. And then when you take them on a tour of that museum, and you're like, don't you understand like how exciting this one piece is? Yeah, 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 yeah. Art? yeah. Um, I, I so often we're, think we're about that. There's that. like my teenage self. And so I uh, was really into music and I thought most art was stupid and I knew better than, uh, uh, you know, and then. All of a sudden, you get into details, and you start thinking, "Oh, this happened, and that happened, and that's really interesting." And and then your teenage self might be like, "No, you you." It's like getting into cigars, and it, cigars are, are disgusting. But then you you get over it, and you start smoking them because it's cool to uh, hang out with old men. And then you cigars are disgusting, but some are less disgusting. And you're like, oh, well, this mm-hmm. one is actually not as disgusting as the others. And, but then if you take a thousand <laughs> steps back, all of a sudden, you're like, no, it's still gross. It's still the same with the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you can I, get into think, suits yeah. and like wearing suits and you're like, oh, the 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 stitching on this hem is really beautiful. Or, but mm-hmm. y- you can get in, you can get so into the micro level that at the macro level, you're like, yeah, but it's kind of bullshit. But it's interesting because the point you're making is like at a certain while you're young, there are certain philosophical or ideological points of view that become apparent to you that you, your parents didn't tell you about or your friends didn't know about. They kind of you know them blow your mind. Yeah, right? they're like, like the they're, they're of, like uh, tectonic shifts. They're really. Yeah, I can big. remember going to school. Like every day, I would go to school in art school, and like some teacher would tell me something that just blew my mind sideways again. What like. Yeah, like like the concept of like queer identity or something like wait wait what I I don't have to my identity is fluid <laughs> like I I'm not who my my parents say I am or some some concept like that or they'd be like do you understand that like time is relative they, there'd be just be mind blowing kind of conversations on a regular and then at a certain point you've had those you you get you get all of like philosophy delivered to you <laughs> and then and then you're like you've got this book. And I'll, all I'm saying is, like, the number of times that I get these, like, big, exciting breakthroughs is less. Now, but you're saying you notice them more. Um, but yeah. I don't know if that's true. Like, because I, I originally I, did notice them quite a bit. I, yeah, yeah, I have to say that there's a cliche of, um, I, for me, it's always easier to understand culture through music. So there's mm-hmm. the cliche of you find your style of music when you're 15. And after that, it's really hard to keep up. It's really hard to keep up with young music, and uh, a lot of music sounds irrelevant to you. It's really hard to relate to. So the cliche of, like, you're a classic rock person, and then you don't understand Taylor Swift or something like that. Right, right, right. But I do think, uh, because I have so few responsibilities and so much time, that I do delve into new stuff all the time. So it's maybe different because I'm not so busy that I will all of a sudden get into different genres or now I'm really into uh, art house cinema which I was never that into so that hits me really hard now so I, it, the only thing I say is when you're younger you're kind of emotionally unstable so when some music you find it beautiful I think mm. your, your being is still so malleable 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's the difference. As a teenager, emotions are just huge. That's that's maybe what I'm saying. Emotions. No, it's true. It's true, and it's all tangled up in these. Yeah, but I think now, like I, I, I didn't know about the films of Antonioni, and then seeing them on 35 millimeter, it, it, it's a really, it's a big thing. It, it, but it it doesn't hit me as hard emotionally. It's more of a, a wholesome, uh, a, a, a mind, body, everything. Well, you might be experience. paying. You might also be paying more attention to the details, yeah. like you yeah, mentioned yeah, earlier, yeah. like. And your young self might have consumed it in a different way, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I think some of the things that changed me most when I was super young were things that helped me recognize that I wasn't alone, you know? But the things that I get really excited about now are things that help me recognize that I, uh, like, that I'm different, you know, that, mm. that my perspective has been uh, subjective in some way and that there's another way of seeing the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, for example, the last few years I started reading again. I I had this thing, um, as a child, I read a lot. I would go to the library on my bicycle every day, and the people at the library all knew me. I was reading a ridiculous amount. Then my parents got me a TV, and I just stopped reading. I didn't care. Mm. And in high school, our teachers told us, uh, well, you have to read these and these books by that date. And having to read with the deadline was just awful, so I... I, I get into these weird moods where I want to create rules. So I just swore, okay, I'll never read a novel again. Novels are stupid. We've moved on. We've created movies and televisions way better. And then I saw um, an interview with Werner Herzog. And I, for a long time, I wanted to make movies because I did like movies. And he said, if you want to be a filmmaker, what you have to do is read every day. You have to read all the time. Mm-hmm. Um I think Truffaut was saying you have to watch one movie a day and read one novel per week if you want to be a filmmaker. Hmm. And anyway, then the Kindle came along, and all of a sudden, I don't like stuff, and I did I traveled a lot, but all of a sudden the Kindle made it possible to have every book in your bag at any time, mm-hmm. and I started reading a lot again. So it, it, what I'm saying is, uh, I don't feel that thing where. Uh, I'm I'm older, so now uh, things are stuck. Like it, it, things can change a lot for me. Like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll make some stupid rule. Like I have weird rules. Like I don't drink coffee or whatever rule. Or I don't read novels. And it's fun for me to have this rule. And then all of a sudden, it flips, and I'm like back to reading again. So uh, I I love that point of view though, and I love that as a good point, which is that like a lot of there's there is the cliche of the older person saying I don't do that, like making choices not to do things, being Apple computer basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you can there, you know, the, the I think probably the exciting old people to hang out with are the ones that that's uh, yeah. You recognize that those choices are meaningless. Yeah. Really, I I, I think uh, I, I don't want to sound preachy, but I often hear uh, there's cliches of oh. At this age, you should be this way, and at this age, you should be that way. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I think often I'm trying to say it doesn't have to be that way. Now, did I ever? I didn't say this at the beginning of the podcast, but when I was in my early twenties, I desperately wanted to live life as a senior citizen. Like I dyed my, I wanted to dye my hair gray. <laughs> it worked terribly. I thought like I'm going to wear gym suits and like the most comfortable sneakers. Here, my theory was that if if you looked at what old people were doing, they had had a lifetime to figure out what was good from bad. And so like, God, bingo must be the best game on the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like chain smoking must be awesome. <laughs> and so I started, <laughs> I started trying to like live those cliches. And like, being a racist must be awesome. <laughs> I have to say, 
well, you know, like they, they don't care anymore what other people there think. Is, That's there is definitely racist. a thing when you're older. Like, it's the opposite of being a teenager, <laughs> being nervous if you're wearing the right jeans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I look like a slob. Hey, deal with yeah. it. Um, anyway. I, that, I, I always, that, that when I see old people and they're unshaven and they're wearing sweatpants, I'm like, I hope I still I keep some vanity because I don't like this idea of letting go and you... You have like light jeans with pee stains. <laughs> no, I don't want to go that way. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't confuse de- uh, depression with aspiration. <laughs> no, there's also a thing with old people that your senses are dulled, literally the physical senses. So you can't smell as well. You can't see as much detail. So you're like, ah, I don't have to shave. Who, who can see it anyway? Right, right, right. But the thing is, you are living life for yourself at that point, not for anyone else. And, I, you know, which is a point you often make on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and one that I contradict only because at times I feel like at least a, a lot of times in my own work as well, I feel like I can't exist in isolation. I can't be solipsistic. Um, I have to think about myself in relationship to others. And I wonder, you know, if, if aging is, is, is a little bit of that tension between like the pursuit of self, the Apple computer, you know, versus the like, um, pursuit of community, which is let's, I don't know who are we going to give that to Google or something like that, but like Facebook, you yeah. know, be, be, yeah, Facebook belonging versus, uh, versus like just like persistent, stubborn pursuit of like a singular truth yeah. kind of thing. This, the, the funny thing with Apple stuff is, um, it, it creates this ecosystem where you feel like you have control and everything works together. And then mm-hmm. when one or two parts don't work, it's so aggravating. And I, I, maybe what I'm trying to say, Apple is the world with like the all-in-one. That's basically mm-hmm. their idea. The all in, like the there were PCs before the Apple, the, the first one, but they made it you could carry everything in one suitcase, and you didn't have to connect a separate TV. Or I, you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other world is like the best of each component. You get the best screen separately and you get the best keyboard separately and you get the best motherboard and you get the best ram and you decide everything yeah i mean it's essentialism versus comprehensiveness right yeah 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 and also the 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 the, the idea that uh, the windows operating system can run on any system and that makes it messier but it also makes it you have more choice Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, that's it. That's, and the, and, and the, the, like every <laughs> Apple article that, that gets all the clicks, it's always people are like, why are they taking this choice from me? Because like, that's what they do. Well, like in a podcast about uh, art, culture and technology, I don't want to leave it to the technologists. But like, you know, can we think of artists that also, you know, fall into these camps like the essentialist artist? Oh, yeah, the of course. Well, every every abstract artist, like Richard Serra, is like, well, you can have anything as long as it's a rusty piece of steel. <laughs> that's good. And then the artist that's just completely comprehensive and gives you everything well, the, in every, every form. The, maybe that's an interesting point. So it, I, I, when I speak to younger artists, I hear it so much, this worry that you, if you want to be successful, you have to just do one thing. That's a worry mm-hmm. that a lot of young artists have. Just do one thing really well. Yeah. And I think a big part of the worry is, um, well, at what point do I nail down what my thing is? Because when you start out, even uh, Richard Serra, when he started out, he was doing different things. And at some point, it became these big steel structures and, and, and black and white drawings. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm sure he did some landscape paintings when he was in art school. And at some point you have to decide, I can't yeah, do yeah, both steel structures and flower paintings. So uh, there's tons of examples of artists who do lots of different things and switch around. But I think in general, mm-hmm. 
for an audience, it's really nice if you're like, well, Richard Serra does that, Peter Halley does that, um, and that makes it really nice to follow. It's like, oh, every show is a little variation of a strong idea, and then it, it's it's almost like you're following a train of thought. So, yes. um, I think that reduction is, of though. choice is really. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I struggle with it myself uh, all the time. It's like. Would it be better if I would only focus on moving images? And that, mm-hmm. but you just have I mean, to do what you ha- want to do. Yeah. No, you do. I mean, I, I'm definitely like because I'm trying to transition my career, and but the thing that I'm focused on most is like making the connections for people that this was an idea I A had pivot. that I just couldn't execute. Well, I couldn't. I had the same idea when I was younger, but I just couldn't execute on it yet. Right? Like, and sometimes you didn't you're not have ready. the resources. Like the, the resources and the technology, none of that stuff was ready yet. And there's often a path from here to there. And you do need to bring people along that path. Otherwise, they're that, just like, what yeah, are they doing? That seems like an ideal trajectory of a life where you you have all this energy and anticipation, but the nothing's ready yet. And then at some point, all the pieces fall together and you're 80 and the screens are good enough and the audience is receptive. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah. oh, now I can run my software. This is it. It's time for the iPod, folks. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pull it out of my jeans, yeah, just yeah. watch. Yeah. But yeah, we all get that moment. And that moment, I just think it, it. there's a little, there's maybe an iPod moment when you're young, and then there's an iPod moment when you're old, and the middle is just trying to get to your next have iPod. You, have you heard, if, a few of my friends that are a bit older that are artists had severe midlife crises, male, around 40, and there's this moment of reckoning where your young life, I'm reading a, a book by Carl over Knausgaard now, and it's, it's this big epic diary of 3,600 pages. And he's in his teenage years now, mm-hmm. and he's at a party, and there's a someone is drunk and is just screaming, I want to be legendary. And everybody's laughing. It's like, well, what do you want to be legendary about? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm legendary. I want to be legendary. So that <laughs> feeling of like, I want to make my mark. And then when you're around 40, all of a sudden there's an evaluation, and you, you look at your stats, and it's like, well, am I legendary? And then maybe there's a, there's mark? a piece after that whether whether you're legendary or not. But you're like, okay, well, that that's what. The, so th- maybe that's aging where um, there's a reality check. But I think you and I both know that the way this works is you put your head down and you don't look up, you know. And then one day you look up, and if you're legendary, it doesn't really, you know. Hey, great. But if you're not. You know, you were you were focused on the on on your on the right thing. Focus on the money, um, no. but it doesn't come. It doesn't come from like con- continuously asking that question. I guess forty is probably a good age that I'm approaching. Well, where I might do. That. Isn't in, 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 there's just a certain age where it, when you're 15, you're like, yeah, I could either be a filmmaker or an astronaut. Like it's pretty open. And at some point, you mm-hmm. have to make choices. So there's definitely there's a part of aging where it would be harder to pivot. It just gets harder to pivot, and it's the same well, for big companies. When I was in grad school. Yeah, but when I was in grad school, a curator once told me, like, hey, if you don't make it before you're 30, you're probably not going to be the superstar, you know, kind of. Like, you're not going to be Damien Hurst or you're not going to be Tracy Emin uh, because they every big star made it before 30 kind of thing. And they have all these prizes, 30 under 30, da, da, da. Like, you got to be a mover and shaker at that stage. At yeah, that it's, like a, it's, it's, so, it's almost like a science. Like you can, it's an algorithm and you can run it and you, you can predict certain yeah. things, like the stock market. Yeah, so, like... By the, when I turned 30, that's when I had my midlife crisis, I would say. And then someone, I remember my sister was a little bit older than me, and she's, I was like, what's it like after 30? She's like, it's fantastic. No one cares what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But it's, was it, it's, it, uh, I always wonder if every artist or anyone who, who, let's say, when I say artist, I say someone who makes the decision, I want this to be my profession, meaning I, I want to spend most of the week on this. Uh, yeah, because there's a difference what, between what's, like what's, what, what what like what are you asking? Like? My question is: Does every artist who makes the decision I want to be a professional, I want to do this full time, does every artist think I'm going to change the game? I'm going to reset art history. I'm going to change the way people see things. Or do a lot of people think oh, I'm just going to mess around and if it works out, it's fine? Yeah, like my point is always like when you're young, you have to be arrogant. Otherwise, there, you'll give up um, because. Yeah, you know, that's my question. Maybe like they, yeah. there's tons of creators and there's artists. There's a difference and there's an arrogance to saying, hey, I'm an artist. Yeah, yeah like just saying that, which I was very uncomfortable with when I was first starting. Yeah, actually. same for like, me. Can I call myself? Like, an artist? Uh, I just well, mess I around. With okay, stuff. I'm just going to take. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, it's like saying you're yeah, a poet. That, that, it's 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 very <laughs> right, pretentious. Right, right. Show me your show me your poems, <laughs> yeah. bitch. Um, but no, like yeah, that gesture. But it's intent. You need to do that. You need to take that leap. Uh, otherwise, you know, if you're not full of yourself either, like I encourage all the young artists out there to be incredibly full of yourself, incredibly naive, because like it, there's that no, is also like, a very Western totally... uh, pathway where we we ascribe an individual has to change the course of art history. It's not. Yeah, it's but, not a bit, but, you're not an artisan who who carves out hieroglyphs on an uh, for the for the pharaoh. But if I just set out to smooth the edges, like, hey, we're not going to get anywhere interesting. I think it's because you need that wild divergence to eventually converge upon something yeah, yeah. truly interesting. But it's it's very it's it's um we're so deep in our ideology that we don't even realize it's an ideology that uh, we live in a, a the idea of the individual hero, not the, not the yeah. A, a larger, but, but I think yeah. you and I both are still trying to make the same radical. Like we both have a radical point of view on the history of art that we're trying to project ten years. That's what we grew up in. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's what I, I'm going to continue doing. Until yeah, I, I just think there's, I mean, there's I, moments I think, in art history where it was a group effort for the gods, and you did the same thing for three thousand years, and you just tried to make the best right, hieroglyphs, right, right. you know. And it, but we are part of a group effort. Like I consider myself very tie- much tied to Fluxus artists from the nineteen sixties, and I'm really just trying to I'm just trying to continue to deliver on their perspective, right? Like, mm. but in modern contexts. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think we've talked about that before. That's one thing that's different about artists is that they're really tied to history in terms of presenting their work and sometimes that can be a burden right but other times it can well, you, be really liberating because with the with, uh, performance art you try to make things that are hard to document so that you're not history is not as heavy <laughs> that's the whole point yeah, yeah. well I, it's true and i had a question while i was in syracuse and we should wrap this up but like uh one of the questions after my talk was like hey do you think there's like any value in objects anymore and i was like you know what um Let's do, you know, let's just stop for a second and let's do like John Cage's four minutes and 33 seconds. Let's just not as a huge, as an auditorium, let's just like pause uh, for four minutes or whatever. And, you know, I think that as a group, just stopping and listening like that, which is what we do on the podcast as well. That's a beautiful work of art. And and I and guess what? There's no documentation of that experience. Like, yeah. And, and no do you will, think you that um, it, it's funny when people try to hierarchically say well are objects better than experience etc but a, a, a white canvas could do the same thing of adding silence into a space exactly exactly that's a good point uh raf 
Um, shall we uh, listen to an audio recording? Yeah. So it's a food-related audio recording by Eric Lawler. Um, hello, Jeremy and Raphael. My girlfriend Diana and I love your podcast. We both work at a neighboring architecture offices and have a small ritual of listening to blah, blah, blah. The other day, I recorded us peeling and chopping Brussels sprouts and following the food episode, decided to send it in. Upon listening to it, I was obsessed. I don't make music, but I think I'll have to learn... How just to sample this? Sorry, I'm really, perhaps I'll forward this to Aphex Twin or make a tune for him. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, it it does sound kind of musical, so we'll listen to some Brussels sprouts. This one made me laugh and uh, and dance at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> Brussels sprouts are the old people food that they force on the new generation. So maybe that's fitting. no, they're hip, they're hip. Brussels sprouts and cauliflower. Yeah, tell now. that to a five year old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We, we um, talked about we'll the old man in- palette where you start, to, anything is moldy, is delicious. So. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Hey, uh, we do need more field recordings where we have a few left Keep in the coming. tank, but we could peek them coming. We love hearing and them. The ads, uh, we love hearing Buy them. our mugs, tell your friends. That's right. <laughs> be nice to people, yeah, eat vegetables, eat Brussels sprouts. Make space for others, do and some don't white canvases. <laughs> don't preach. Yeah. It's like, how many slogans do we accumulate? <laughs> Remember to read. Oh, I got it. There was a great slogan. I was working with one of my artists. He had a, a slogan, which was uh, like on a sticker that he was handing out. It was, uh, he had keychains that said read, but then he had these stickers that said read, bitch. Just, I don't know. For some reason, even though that sounds like, you know, potentially misogynist or something is the word bitch. But I was just like, read, bitch. I love that. I like, I think it's just like, yeah. I don't know. Shame on you. <laughs> All, All right. right. Read, bitch. Uh, see you Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.